You're about to watch part two of a two-part series. Why what? <laughs> Why you do the things you do. Right. There you go. Inspired. Enjoy. Enjoy. So we obviously talked about a story that really marked me and mm-hmm. as a result, our family. And I know for you that there was one uh, that happened early on that as a result has totally changed the course of lives, yeah. um, including ours. Um, do you want to share a little bit about yeah. our... Our guy, Duve. <laughs> yes. So for our listeners, there, there may be a few that have been fortunate enough to meet or have met Duve, yeah. the infamous Duvinson. Yeah, I even have Duvinson yeah, uh, tattooed on me. Ba- he, like years and years ago, he wrote his name in my uh, Bible study book and I got it tattooed on me. So <laughs> uh, I, I've been a soul searcher my whole life, you know. God would have it that I would be inspired by a young boy. I think New Vincent, well, he's 18 or 19 now. So yeah, he, he was like least, nine or 10. Yeah. He's yeah. like, I think he was like nine years old when you met him. Yeah. Eight or nine. We'll put him at eight or nine. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, I, I showed up to Haiti on a whim. You know, I, I had, uh, you and I had just finished a, a bunch of fundraising for Haiti uh, through Compassion International. We were kind of up on the news. And a friend of ours in town was linked up with an organization that was going down. And this was almost a year later. And I just felt compelled to go. And you were giving me permission. And there I was, off to Haiti. Never, never anticipating and or planning being as inspired as I was uh, on that trip. And, and and there's so many accounts to talk about. But uh, DuVinson probably takes the cake. So we'll share Duvinson's right. story. This I can't morning. wait to hear about it. The little, Whoosh. the little stinker Whoosh. that hasn't, hasn't escaped <clears throat> us. <laughs> and now his whole family. Now, now he tells me. Now he tells me, Dad, Dad, I'm not a little boy. I'm a man now. This is this is <laughs> Duvinson speaking to me in oh, English. Goodness. Oh, guys. So I'm I'm post earthquake. It's it's about a year after the earthquake. Uh, Haiti doesn't recover fast, and you know I'm I'm seeing the remains uh, of a school. And it's starting to get put together back together. You know, USAID and FEMA. This was a massive, massive earthquake. You know, so anybody and everybody that re- responds to national disasters are there. And they're trying to make do uh, with a classroom out of just, you know, plywood and tarps. You know, so if you can imagine USAID tarps and we're there and I'm just wide eyed and listening as I'm going through this area uh, about needs and it's overwhelming. But, you know, me, I I. I'm able to kind of get laser focused and I'm trying to like, just think, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Thinking about all the people that we have back at home, thinking about different uh, outlets we have uh, to inspire people back home to jump on board to help the Haitians. And I got this little kid, like constantly pulling at my pant leg and uh, you know, I can't shake him. I, I, I probably am there for six, seven hours and there's constantly this little tug. I don't know any, Creole. I, yeah, at that you know, time. <laughs> I mean, I, and it's so the the the. Mo- and he's always had like the biggest, most beautiful smile. Yeah, but yeah. like kind of a stinker one, you know. It was like, always not a, kind of always. It was always. A, a, it was always a stinker that, like, smile. My grandpa would have called it like a crap eating grin, yeah. but wouldn't have said crap. <laughs> yeah, my I'm, I'm, my headspace is important for everybody to hear about because I'm trying my hardest, almost like a a student, to pay attention. You know, like all of my attention is focused on hundreds of thousands of people uh, that have died and all these schools that are down and clinics that are down. And 
and just absolute chaos. I mean, it's just chaos. So it's like my brain and my spirit and everything is trying to stay focused. And I keep having what I think to be this distraction, you know, this, this little boy that is sure enough cute, but like, I'm not there to have my heart broke. Uh, yeah, you're there, Mr. Fix-It in little, your mind. Yes, yeah, yeah, th- yeah. This is, it usually happens that way in the bec- beginning. <laughs> this becomes like, you know, an area where God just starts doing some work on me. And sometimes those things, uh, you know, they take a little time to cook and cultivate. So, you know, to not beat the first encounter over the head, I wouldn't even have been able to tell you Du Vincent's name. Um, I remember him asking to take some photos with me as the group went around. He spoiled me. You know, like, you know, sometimes you've been to Haiti enough times that a kid kind of just works the crowd. Most of them are shy. You know, they, they kind of are a little more reserved. They're not quite sure what to make of us. Then there's a few that are a little bit more, you know, like aggressive and want to like, you know, be by you or get a photo with you. But they seem to want to do that with everybody. This boy wanted to just, it was just like, he would push other kids away, you know, and hold on to me. And, and uh, I have to really go back to think about that first trip because it, unfortunately for me, wasn't the significant moment. It wasn't the marking moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, anyways, oh, that that trip ends and it's, I don't know, a couple months. I, I can't recall time. But you and I get a call, I think, from the, the gal that I went on the trip with or somebody that was on the trip. That went back. That went back. Uh, that said, hey, are are you Joe? You know, and I'm like, yeah, I'm Joe. And she's like, well, I just went, you know, with such and such group down to Haiti to visit this school. And a young man uh, handed me a letter to get to you. <laughs> so here, here is. Do you know this about Duve, Ben? Here, here is a, here's a little eight or nine-year-old boy in the slum of all slums. I mean, that just like, what a big dreamer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like. Bold. As, bold as, as big as the world is, it wasn't so big that he didn't believe, right? Like his yeah. faith. Yeah. He's like, I'm, I'm going to tr- give this to this lady tr- and she's going to somehow know just, Joe. That's what I mean. I'm just trying to think <laughs> of the faith of this young man. It, it just, when I think back on it and yeah, it just, it blows my mind that somehow he just said, here's a lady that's from America and she somehow is going to figure this out for me. So anyways, I get this letter. That's written in a eight-year-old's handwriting, nine-year-old's handwriting, uh, loose-leaf paper with the fringes on the edge, uh, just telling me his story. Like he wasn't asking for anything; he just wanted me to know about his situation. Happy for you to meet you. Yeah, happy to meet you. Happy to have met me. He did share a little bit about. I remember him sharing his dad was an alcoholic and some of the stories with that, and that was kind of where my connection started. You know, I I uh, I kind of checked out of my childhood. You know, I tried becoming a man very young, and God bless my dad. I absolutely love him, but, you know, he was an alcoholic. So I just remember thinking, man, I just want to figure out a way to be able to communicate with this kid because I want him to know. This is, like, where the beginning of, like, that connection of, like, wanting to be seen and wanting to be known because this young man uh, it just seemed like we had some weird connection and uh, I don't remember how You have long. to remind yourself of that sometimes, yeah. don't you? Because he yeah. sometimes drives you nuts. He is a stinker. <laughs> He's a stinker and a half. I don't remember, for whatever reason, I started going back to Haiti, uh, you know, right away. I don't remember how long it was between my first and my second trip, but there was just so much work to do. Uh, different things had inspired me to learn more about myself. But 
Anyways, I found myself back on a second trip. And sure enough, as soon as I made it to that school, that young boy was right back on my leg and he was persistent. Now going all the way as far as like sitting on my foot, you know, how like you have to drag a kid around. And uh, Mirak, Miracle was the, the, yeah, principal, the principal at the, at the time. time. Yeah. And he asked for a meeting. DuVincent said, I want a meeting, you know, with, he started calling me Papa Joe right from the get go. Like he just had his mind made up what was going to happen. And he and I sat on a little curb. Uh, there was no walls or anything around the school at the time. There was just a chain link fence. And as the chaos of City Soleil was around us, this young man would look right at me and speak real. Like I could understand him perfectly. And then I would hear the translation from Miracle. And he was just asking me about my family. And I was telling him about you and the kids at the time. And he was asking me why I was coming to Haiti. And finally, he just got to a question that just ripped my heart. And one, the question itself was profound, but it was a question that I had asked in a different way so much of my childhood. And he just looked up at me with his big brown eyes and just said, what did you do right to be born in America? And what did I do wrong? to be born here in City Soleil. And I just choked up. Like I had to like excuse myself for a second from the conversation. Because in this moment, like I'd never heard that question phrased that way before, but it was like the question I struggled with at his age. You know, like I couldn't figure out why I couldn't have been uh, my uncle's kids. You know, like when we start thinking about how big the world is and the why questions, like why was I born here? And why was mm -hmm. I born to them? And I just deeply connected with him. And uh, if you were to scroll through, you know, the first five years of, of trips to Haiti, you know, they were as much to go down there to see and spend time with him as they were to do the work that we were doing. And he and I, you know, to this day, he's a strong, strong swimmer, but it didn't start off that way. <laughs> you know, start off with him, him trying to drown you literally choking me out because he was <laughs> deathly afraid of water and uh, just got to watch him grow over the years. And for me, much like you, uh, that inspired moment made me realize what beauty there is in letting somebody that feels unseen be seen. And it was a deep connection to my childhood, you know, just like for you as a mom and understanding what it was and the privileges that you have as a mom to see another mom not have those same things. Uh, it was a moment for me that was very freeing because I had realized how great of a life I had, unfortunately, because I'm looking at how even worse his life was. But in that was that connection that no one, no matter where they're born or to what circumstance they're born to should feel like they're just unseen or that they have no hope. So what Duvinson sometimes struggles with is he wishes that we did everything <laughs> that we do just for him and his family. Cause that's what ended up coming with Duvinson was a huge big family, old, big old family, <laughs> a big old family. And no mom's tied right into that with you as yeah, far as sure. wanting to help those women, because there's, yeah, one, so two, three, four, five women. Uh, and one with a that, special needs baby. That mm -hmm. all all need someone to yeah, speak live a little for them, speak a little for them. Yeah, for help, sure. Help some of their dreams come true so that they can provide for their kids. But, uh, you know, Duvinson inspired me to realize that Duvinson was one of many. 
And one of the things that came along with that was also not wanting to elevate myself. You know, that was where God did work right away in realizing what was best for Duvinson, what was best for the kids of Haiti was for them to see their local indigenous leaders be the real heroes because guys like me would come and go. And I think that's why you and I have always, you know, we, we, we play a very upfront but behind the scenes role in the work that we do in Haiti. And a lot of that was because I realized like, I might only see Duvinson once a year, twice a year. Who he's left with is his teachers and his principals. Thinking about Duvinson and the gaps of time between me seeing him again made me realize how important it was to build up leaders in this community. You know, things like better, better than bullets, mm-hmm. you know, um, who we brought in as staff, who we poured into as staff, how we taught them the importance of going beyond just teaching them, but also mentoring them. A lot of these kids. Yeah, discipling them. A lot of these kids, uh, you know, have strong homes to go home to. And six, seven hours a day, they're under our school's care. So it has only made sense for us to lift, empower, and elevate the local and indigenous leaders. Yeah, for sure. Because we don't always get to be there. True story. True story. Even if we wanted to. Even if we wanted to. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, yeah I mean, Haiti. He's a little sweet on Duvinson. I love that kid. <laughs> he is a stinker, but God love him. He's his family. Obviously he legally really wants impacted. to change his last name in Haiti, just so you know. Can he do that? Yes. Oh Lord, and have he, mercy. And he has asked. I think that his dad might not like that very much. <laughs> Duvinson Rogelski. We could have Rogelski name Rogelski name heritage in Haiti. Lord have mercy. <laughs> no thanks. Uh, he can keep he can keep his name. Dazir is so much cooler. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, definitely there's things, you know, Haiti has changed our lives in so many ways. And I think, you know, we've just been inspired so much by the people and by their stories and just constantly challenged to think outside of ourselves, think about how we can live our lives and give them a voice when they may not have one. And that doesn't mean that it's always easy or that we always want to keep on going. I believe it's the opposite of easy. I do too. I got schooled, you know, depending on where you grow up, where you're taught, trained, where your culture comes from, sometimes shapes uh, the way you process life. And I was sitting in Haiti uh, talking to a young man from Sweden, telling me about the school that he went through, only prepared him for suffering in the Hmm. world of missions. That was the whole purpose of their school was to teach, train, and prepare them for the suffering that comes along with. And I don't mean suffering like. No, I know what you but, mean. But, but suffering meaning smart. like yeah. if you're going to serve those that the enemy has a grip on, those that are oppressed, those that can pass and perish for a lack of basic means, you're going, your heart is going to be troubled. Yeah, it is. If compassion is what draws you into there, you're already softened to that. So to see the injustice over and over. And then it becomes personal. They become your friends. They become your neighbors. It becomes hard. You have to become acquainted with suffering. Suffering becomes uh, the way that we identify more with Christ. Like that, uh, it's been through our suffering that you know the compassion first, but then also in the suffering that I realized, wow, like what Christ did and what Christ had to go through for us. And then He tells us that we are you know, co-heirs in that as well. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It's not easy. Inspired not, things they're are rarely my favorite. Right? They're, they're not. Rare, they're probably rarely easy. They're not, but they're my favorite things to do. <laughs> <laughs>